Good morning, Grace Fellowship. Can I tell you something? You were made for greatness. You were made for greatness in the kingdom of God. And you're made to rest in God, risk in God, so you can be formed by God, so you can be found in God by others. God made you a witness for him. Never discount a small seed deposited in the life of one person. For you'll never know until we get to heaven what God did with that seed. So I'm here to encourage you today. I think this message is going to be a little challenging for us today um, because God's been telling me to kind of talk about some things that we usually don't want to talk about, but I'm doing that anyway. So would you be kind enough to pray for me and with me? Let's do that. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you that your family is beautiful. We know we're broken, God. We know that. We see it every day, but we are so beautiful in you. And you have called us to shine our lights into the darkness of this world in such a way that more and more would come into the family that you are building. That more would be brought in, that more would be built up, and more would be sent out by your grace and for your glory. God, we ask for your grace today. I ask for your grace today. I know I don't have the words, Lord, but you have the words because you live in me and you live in us. You are our hope, Lord God. You are our strength, and you are the light. So we ask now that you would speak as only you can speak directly to us. Shake us up, God. Help us to be bold and strong for you. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Okay, well, if you know you've been with us for a while, week seven, if you need to catch up, The messages are on the website. I'd encourage you to go listen to those. Today, we're going to be talking about being found in Christ. This is, you know, our kind of guiding verse. They will be called Oaks of Righteousness, a planning of the Lord for the display of His splendor. So how many of you have ever planted a tree? That's quite a few. That's beautiful. Praise God. Um, You planted that tree with purpose. I know you did. You don't ever plant a plant or plant a tree or like do anything really without a purpose. But everybody who plants a tree does it for a reason. Maybe it's to block out the neighbor's view of your yard. Some of you are like, yep, I did it for that reason. Maybe it's because you want fruit from the tree. Anybody like fruit? Oh my gosh, peaches, right? Apples. Apples are good, but peaches are better. (laughs) Apples don't run down your arm and you have to lick the stuff. Oh, my God. And that was gross, wasn't it? That's how much I love peaches, though. But some people will plant a tree for the fruit. Some people plant a tree just to admire its beauty or just to rest in its shade. But every tree has a purpose. If you plant a tree, you did it on purpose. The scripture says that God has planted us like oaks of righteousness with purpose. And the purpose is the display of his splendor. He has planted us to bring glory to himself, to bring glory to his name. Your life is supposed to reflect his light in such a way that people see your good works and then they turn to your Father in heaven and they glorify him in heaven. See, Christianity is made to be contagious. You know, you've been called to rest in God. Yes, we've talked about that. You've been called to risk in God. Yes, we've talked about that. But resting and risking are for a purpose. The purpose is that you would be formed more into the image of Jesus. Why? Yes, so that you would be set free. But your freedom is not just meant to indulge you. Your freedom is to be used for a purpose. And that's to invite more and more people into the family. 
Because there are so many people who don't have the hope that you have. Some of you are sitting here this morning, you're saying, Jeff, I come here, I don't really have a whole lot of hope this morning. I'll talk to you in a few minutes. I will. But, but here's the truth. If you're in Christ Jesus, you have the riches of the kingdom of God. And you take this for granted. How do I know this? I do. You take it for granted, but there are countless people around you every day, yes, right here in our little East Podunk, Shrewsbury, Pennsylvania, that don't know Jesus Christ. And, and we are desperate for his love. So we need to be this conduit of life and light and love for those around us. Why? So that they would come to Jesus. Listen to these instructions from our Lord. This is in Mark 16, 15. Wherever you go in the world... Tell everyone the good news. Wherever you go, in other words, as you're going, it's not like you have to make a special trip to actually be the light of the world for Jesus. He says, wherever you go, just talk to people about me. That can be in the grocery store, it can be at the school, it can be a workout at the gym, it can be at the soccer game. When you go to a party, he says, everywhere you go, share the good news about me. Can you imagine what Shrewsbury, Pennsylvania, or York, PA would look like, or northern Baltimore County would look like if each one would reach one? Can you imagine what this auditorium would look like if each one would reach one? Can you imagine what the sleepy little town would wake up to? Can you imagine dancing in the streets? Can you imagine people proclaiming the gospel and lives being changed? Can you imagine that? I hope you can. Because that's that's the business that Jesus has been forever in. He's been in the business of changing people's lives. Listen, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And here's his promise. And surely I am always with you, even to the very end of an age. In Matthew 4.19, he says this, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. You know, these guys were fishermen that Jesus approached, at least some of them. We know what Peter was. We know a couple of the others were fishermen. But here's the thing he's saying, look, I'm going to take the principles that I've already taught you for fishing, and I'm going to up the ante. I'm going to bring you into my kingdom, and I'm going to show you how I can use you to reach people with me. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Will you implore you on Christ's behalf? Be reconciled to God. What's that word reconciled mean? It means because become his friend. Become his friend. Be at peace with God because he has made peace with you through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Now come in. We're ambassadors. What's an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who's a representative of a higher power. This person doesn't actually have the power, but they represent the one who does have the power. In government, we have ambassadors for the Queen of England, for the President of the United States, for the government of Germany or China or Argentina or whatever it might be, Philippines. These countries send out ambassadors all around the world. And the Bible says that you and I are ambassadors sent out to represent Jesus Christ everywhere we go. Some of you go, I don't really feel like I do that very well. Hang with me for a few minutes. I can promise you that I think you'll you'll understand where we're going. This is the main verse we're working with today. It comes from um, Acts, uh, verses 1, 6 through 9. I want to make sure that I have the right slide set up here. Um, 
There we go. Okay, so he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Listen, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. That's the ascension. So this is the words that Jesus leaves the disciples with before he goes back to the Father. And so God has called you to be a witness. Say this and raise your hand. I am a witness for Christ. Now look, you've got to understand something. He says, you will be my witnesses. In a courtroom, there's a distinct difference between being an attorney and being a witness. An attorney's job is to make the case. An attorney's job is to present the evidence. An attorney's job is to call for a decision. That's not your job. He didn't say, you will be my attorneys. You will be my lawyers going out to argue my case to the world. He didn't say that. He said, you will be my witnesses. What does a witness do? A witness says... Well, this is what I experienced. This is what I saw. I saw that guy walk from A to B. I saw this happen. It's all about your story. When you bring a witness into a courtroom, can I tell you something? That witness carries a ton more weight than a lawyer ever will. Because when the judge hears somebody says, well, this is what I saw that person do, and this is what I experienced, and this is what happened to me, then you have firsthand eyewitnesses that can testify to what has happened. God does not need attorneys. And frankly, there are way too many of us that are acting like lawyers and judges. And God is saying, be a witness. Tell people how I changed your life. Today, we're going to look at an early witness to Jesus Christ in the community around him. We're going to read from the book of John, chapter 9. This is the story of Jesus healing a man born blind. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there and you can follow along with me. It starts in verse 1. As he went along, as he went along, just like you go along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, Rabboni, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Stop. Within their culture was the belief if someone struggled or someone was broken or someone had some kind of disability or hard luck, it always connected to their sin. In other words, they were to blame. It's your fault or your parents' fault, but someone's at fault because you are blind. This is called judgment. This is being an attorney. This is being a judge. And by the way, Jesus doesn't like anybody else sitting in on his throne. Do you understand that? He's the ultimate judge. So he says in verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. This probably blew their corks. What? Yeah, no, it's not his sin. He's not saying that he didn't sin. He's not saying that his parents didn't sin. He's just saying their sin is not responsible for his blindness. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Stop. Don't judge what you don't understand. Everyone has a story. And if you don't know the story, you have no right being an attorney. 
I don't know how I've, so many of us bring these judgments to people's lives around us. I don't know how so easily and quickly it comes to my mind to judge somebody and be an attorney when I don't know their story. But can I tell you something? When I've taken the time to sit down with people, even especially those that irritate the daylights out of me, and I ask them some good open questions and I sit with them for 45 minutes to an hour and I hear their story, you know what happens? Some light goes on in my mind and in my heart and I go, now I understand. Now I see what God is doing. And so Jesus is saying, look, your first inclination is to be an attorney, to be a judge, to make a judgment. This guy was born blind so that I would be glorified. This time was planned before the world was ever created by me. So he goes on. He says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now listen, he says, after saying this, he spit on the ground. It's kind of a nice picture of Jesus, right? He made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. He said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. The word means sent. So he touches the guy, and he sends the guy. Now, you got to understand something here. There was a law in place against healing on the Sabbath. But there was also a secondary law that most people don't know about. It was a law against spitting on the Sabbath. So Jesus is being very intentionally antagonistic. He's not only going to heal this guy on the Sabbath, but he's going to spit on the ground, make some mud, and put it on his eyes. And he's going, in your face, Pharisees. He loves doing stuff like that. So the man went and he washed and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging said, isn't this the same guy that used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am that man. How was it then that your eyes were opened? Listen, he replied, that man they called Jesus, that guy, he made some mud and he put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to Siloam, which means sent and washed. So I went and I washed. And then I could see. Can you imagine him saying this? Where is this man, they ask him. Yeah, I'd want to know too. He goes, I don't know. Circle that. Underline that. I don't know. Pharisees investigate the healing. Now the religious people come in. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been, made, had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and spit and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. I just put the spit in there. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He said, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. Stop. He heals and he spits. Can't be from God. Why? Because he doesn't fit in their box. But others ask, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. I don't like us. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say to him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and that he had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. So this dude is an adult. They send for his parents to come in to testify. He said, is this your son? They ask. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that they now can see? Verse 20. 
We know he's our son. Well, that's a good thing. The parents answered. And we know he was born blind. Okay, well, that's, that's also a good thing. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Hmm. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. He had been bar mitzvahed, so we at least know he's of age. He's accountable. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. They're saying, hey, that's all on him. We, we're disowning him now. Didn't really say that. But they're stepping away because they're afraid. He replied, okay, so the second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. He said, give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. He replied, listen, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Circle that, underline that, highlight that. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. This is a witness. This is a witness. This is a guy who's not trying to act like a lawyer. This is a guy who's not trying to act like a judge. This is a guy who's humble, down in the dirt, dependent on God, and his life has been changed. He's like, I don't know a lot of stuff. You ask me where the guy is, I don't know that. You ask him, he's a sinner. I don't even really know that either. But I can tell you this. I was blind, and now I can see. How do you argue with that? He's not trying to say he knows it all. All he's saying is, this guy changed my life. And they ask him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have already told you and you did not listen. That sounds like a real religious person, doesn't it? Why do you want to hear it again? And listen, now he really takes them off. Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> you know why this really ticked them off? Because he hit their pride. You see, they were so prideful and so busy trying to judge everything. And he comes in and he goes, why are you asking all these questions? Do you want to follow him too? Oh, you know, they, they hurled insults, uh, insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And this little simple guy, who's been begging his whole life, he answers, now that's quite remarkable. You don't know where he come from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's saying he performed a miracle in my life. And it's so remarkable, religious person who calls yourself man of God, that you don't know where this came from. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Stop. The huge shame that religious people often commit is that we strain out gnats and we swallow camels. We don't celebrate this. They could have celebrated this guy, don't you think? Don't you think they could have went, oh my gosh, you mean you were blind and now you can see? That's amazing, dude. And how did it happen? Jesus, all right, let me ask you some questions because I don't know, I really wonder about that guy, but tell me what you experienced. And they could have been curious and celebratory in a beautiful way, but guess what? They missed the party 
Why? Because they were too busy being attorneys and judges. And they missed this witness. We do that too. We do that too. Some of you know um, this week a guy named Kanye West. He kind of um, publicly released an album that's called Jesus is King. I don't know about, a lot about this dude's life, but I can tell you this. He was singing a while back, I am God. And he just released an album called Jesus is King. He is a mega sensation hip-hop artist. Now, those of you who know him, I know you'd have to correct me, but I believe he has like 17 million followers on Twitter. 17 million. That's like 5% of the U.S. population. How many of you have access to 17 million people? Okay. So, Kanye West... He actually professes that he now has a relationship with Jesus Christ. He comes out on Jimmy Kimmel, and Jimmy Kimmel asks him, so let me get this right, like, are you a Christian hip-hop artist? He said, I'm a Christian everything. I'm a Christian everything. Now look, I, <laughs> I want to read you a letter. Actually, yeah, let's read the letter. This was posted on Andrew's Facebook page. It was an open letter from someone else. But I want you to hear this. Dear Christians, Today I saw the radical life-changing grace grace of God displayed in the life of Kanye West. He released an album proclaiming his newfound faith in Christ that holds more weight and depth than most contemporary Christian music on their radio right now. This is a man that went from proclaiming, I am God, to now proclaiming, Jesus is King. My hope for the future was short-lived when I started scrolling on social media and I was dumbfounded at the amount of hate, judgment, and ridicule from other believers. Friends, the world is watching you. A soul that was lost has now been found. And when the world sees you turn him away because of his past, they feel unlovable and unforgivable. You aren't just posting about a man you'll never meet, that you will never read your posts. You are speaking to every lost soul in your life. Your friends, your family, your coworkers, you are turning them away. People of God, Stop acting like attorneys and start bearing witness. You've got to stop missing out on what God is doing and trying to judge everything by straining it through your little theological lenses. I am talking to me too. We're pushing people away by being judgmental and we're being just as judgmental if not so as the world around them. I want you to listen to this man's. I, I listened to some of this guy's album because I, I wanted to find out what was going on. You know, this is kind of a big deal. This guy has huge reach. And I, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to take anybody's word for anything. I just want to hear his music. And so I'm going to play a little bit of God Is. Uh, Jess, if you're able to play that, and I'm going to read you some of the lyrics. Give us a little more volume, Jess. If you want to get up and rock, you're welcome to. You can lift those arms. portions I know I won't forget all he's done 
raise the strength in this race that I run Every time I look up, I see God's faithfulness And it shows just how much He is miraculous I can't keep it to myself, I can't sit here and be still Everybody I will tell, till the whole world is healed King of kings, Lord of lords, all the things He has in store From the rich to the poor you won't ever be the same when you call on Jesus' name. Listen to the words I'm saying. Jesus save me now. I'm saying, and I know. Okay, so are you getting this? I mean, are you getting this? Listen, my light in the darkness, oh God, God is. He is my all in all, and I'll never turn my back. Everything that I felt, praise the Lord. Worship Christ with the best of your portions. I know I won't forget all that he's done. He's the strength in this race that I run. Every time I look up, I see God's faithfulness. It shows just how much he is miraculous. I can't keep it to myself. I can't sit here and be still. Everybody, I will tell the whole world till it's healed. King of kings, Lord of lords, all the things he has in store. From the rich to the poor, all are welcome through the door. I won't ever be the same when you call on Jesus' name. Listen to the words I'm saying. Jesus saved me. Now I'm saved. How? Now look, Paul's dealing with this in the early church. He's dealing with people who are actually going out proclaiming Christ, and he's not sure whether or not they're actually saved or not. People are like, well, we should wait a while before to see if cayenne actually sticks. Why? Why? This is the gospel being proclaimed. Jesus is being pointed to. This is going out to millions and millions of people. Look, I don't put any weight on one man's conversion. I put all my hope in God. But when I look at these lyrics, I go, Jesus is being glorified. Listen, Jesus brought a revolution. All the captives are forgiven. Time to break down all the prisons. Every man, every woman, there is freedom from addiction. Jesus, you have my soul. Oh my gosh. So look, I'm not holding up Cayenne West. I'm just trying to hold up Jesus Christ. And you know what we do is we hear stuff like this and we doubt. Don't doubt God. He is the one who saves. And celebrate what he is doing. We've got to stop being attorneys. We've got to start bearing witness to who Jesus is. I'm going to continue in the story at verse 45. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? I love Jesus' questions. This man goes, who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him, and in fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then this man said, Lord, I believed, and he worshipped him. Bingo! This guy just crossed from death to life. Jesus went out to find him after he'd heard he's been thrown out. Jesus said, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who heard him say that said, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of your sin. But now that you claim to see, your guilt remains. So what he's saying to them is this. 
in your arrogance and in your pride and in your decision to be like an attorney rather than a witness, in your decision to try and judge the very acts that I am doing at this point in time, you remain guilty. If you would just come to me, I would give you rest from that stuff. And I would show you my ways and you would learn to celebrate my goodness. Why do I bring this guy up that's been healed you know, from this blindness from birth as a witness? Here's the thing. Many of us read stories like this and they go, well, I don't have that good of a testimony. I, I haven't been healed from blindness. Are you sure? Because first of all, if you are in Christ, you are being healed from your blindness. Because you now are able to see the things of God that you weren't able to see before. You're able to see your own sin, which you were not able to see before. You're able to see other people created in the image of God and love them, which you did not see and do before. So those of us in Christ have been and are being healed from our spiritual blindness. Amen? That's part of your witness. But you're like, well, I don't have this huge life story to tell people. Let's just look at Philippians 2. Verses 1 through 4. Listen, therefore, if if you have any encouragement... Actually, I'm going to ask you to read this with me out loud, please. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, in any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So, let me ask you a question. Um, Sons, daughters of the Most High God, how many of you have relationships with people who don't believe in Jesus? Raise your hand. Okay, so you have relationships, now you have opportunity. If you raised your hand, you have opportunity. You have a relationship with somebody who doesn't know Christ. Now, what's, what, what could you do? This scripture says that you're supposed to act in the best interest of others. You're not just supposed to act in your own best interest, but in the best interest of other people. What is the thing that you could do that would show the best interest of someone else who doesn't know Christ? Love them and lead them to Jesus. Why? Because it has eternal consequences. The best thing you can bring them is Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. So in humility, if you're going to value these people who don't know Christ, you need to be praying for them. You need to be talking to them. You need to be encouraging them in the love of Christ to come into a relationship with Jesus. Why? Because that has eternal consequences. He's the only one that can save your friend, your family member from the pit of hell. He's the only one that can do that. Now, listen to what the scripture says. If you have any encouragement, then tell them. If you have any comfort, share it with them. If you have any common sharing in the spirit, then share that with them. If you've experienced any tenderness or compassion from God, show these people that same tenderness, that same compassion, and tell people how good God is. Do you have any? Raise your hand if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. So that you have that much to give. Look, you don't have to wait around until you get like 80% down the road. Don't do that. 
You know, some of the most effective witnesses for Christ are those people that come to Jesus and they just become uncorked. We call them barbarian Christians. That's what Kanye is right now. You know why? He's like uncorked for Jesus. You know, Jimmy Kimmel says, I'm a, I'm a Jesus, I'm a Jesus everything. He didn't hold back. There's all this passion going on in there. And then somewhere along the road, what happens is we start getting assimilated into the Christian culture where we're actually acting like judges and lawyers rather than witnesses. And God says, no, let me write new stories in your life and be an effective witness for me every day. Just don't wait to tell the big stuff. Tell the little stuff. If you have any connection or a hope from your relationship with God, just tell people how good he is. Now, challenge. If you can't think of anything good that comes from your relationship with God, if you haven't experienced him in a way that you could proclaim his goodness to the world, I want you to do something. I want you to test yourself and see if you're even in the faith. Because that's what the scripture says to do. I want you to ask yourself, do I truly have a relationship with God? Why? Because you'll know them by their fruit. You don't have to have fruit hanging all over you. You can have just a little orange growing on one limb. And that's okay because that orange wasn't there before. You can just have one apple growing on one limb. That's okay because there was nothing there before. But if there's no fruit in your life, maybe you're just doing the cultural thing. And can I challenge you? That cultural thing will not save you. Only Jesus Christ will save you. Amen. The right thing for you to do is get on your face before God and cry out, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, and ask him to come into your life anew. So you really need to test yourself if you're at that place. But many of us will say, Jeff, I do have fruit in my life. I do have some encouragement. I do have some hope. I'm not complete on these things, but I do have some of that. I just lack the confidence to proclaim Christ in those people's lives around me. Okay, let's talk about confidence, shall we? There's some things I want you to remember that I believe God will use to help increase your confidence in sharing Christ with other people. Here's the first thing. Everybody you meet has the same longings that you do. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Look, God has he planted eternity in the human heart. What that means is that every heart is longing for eternal insurance. This is why we go like through plastic surgery and why we go to nudist colonies. Why do we go to a nudist colony? Because we're trying to get back in the garden, man. That's what we're trying to do. I'm serious. Think about it. You know, like there was a time where we walked around completely unashamed, completely free, completely intimate with God, completely intimate with one another. There was no backbiting, there was no brokenness, there was no shame, no fear, none of that stuff. Why do people go strip their clothes off and walk down a beach? Like, frankly, I would just not want to go see that. But why do they do that? They're trying to get back into the garden. But the gate's been closed and it's locked, man. You know the way back in? Jesus Christ. So why do people do plastic surgery? Why do people want to do all these life-prolonging things? Why do they want intervention after intervention after intervention to feel young, stay young, and stay alive? They're longing for eternity. And in Christ, that's what we have. We have eternity with God. So you got to understand something. In the heart of every person is a longing 
for eternal assurance. We want that together. God says that in Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has placed eternity in in every human heart. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.15. Jesus included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life, a resurrection life, a far better life than people have ever lived on their own. Look, when you mix up the gospel with the American dream, you are in a mess. Because you think, oh, I'll come to Jesus and I'll have the good life. And I'm, that's not the gospel. The gospel is you will die to yourself and you will rise up to the best life you could ever possibly live for the glory of God. But it may mean you lose everything for the, for the cause of Christ, but you don't care anymore. That's the freedom you have. Jesus said, I have come that they would have life and life abundantly. He's talking about life that supersedes anything that we could imagine or ask for here on planet Earth. Here's the two deepest longings in the heart of every person you meet. And I can guarantee you this. They are there. The first one is they want to be secure. Every single one of us wants to be safe. We want to be secure. And every single one of us wants to be significant. We want to have some level of impact on the world around us. We want to know that we're important, that we're valued, that we have purpose. So security and significance. These are the two longings in the heart of every person you will meet. And if you understand that they also lie in your heart, then the ground is level, man. You can understand this truth that everybody has the same needs that you do. Now look, not only that, but everybody has the same questions you do. Now look, I understand in the scriptures we have some of the answers. But listen to Ecclesiastes 3 again. None of us can ever fully understand all that God has done. But he puts questions in our minds about the past and about the future. Listen to Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things that are too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself, my soul, like a weaned child with his mother's, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Oh, Israel, put your hope in Lord from this time forth and forevermore. How many of you have ever seen a baby go to sleep on its mother's chest? You ever see that? Don't you want to sleep like that? Oh my gosh, I look at a child and I'm like, Lord, please help me to sleep like that baby. And what David is saying is, I don't know all the answers to all the questions, but Lord, I'm not going to focus on all that because such knowledge is too great for me. I've just calmed and quieted myself in your presence, and now I have peace because of who you are. Can I tell you something? It's not the answers that drive us crazy. It's the questions. It's the questions that, that just tie us up inside. I was a unique kid. I really think among my friends anyway, I didn't really at least meet anybody that told me they were like me in this, but I used to try and figure stuff out. Anybody as a kid try and figure things out? Did you ever try and figure things out to the point where it drive you absolutely insane? I remember sitting on the curb out in front of my house trying to grasp infinity. (laughs) I was like nine years old and I'm sitting out there on the curb and I'm like, okay, so you mean to tell me it goes on forever, but if there's a brick wall, what happens? Is there a brick wall forever? Is there something behind the brick wall? Like, what's going on? Like, you, how could it possibly go on forever? What am I? Who am I? Where am I? What is going on here, God? Like, I, I can't get this. And I started crying. <laughs> That's how intense I am. Nine years old and trying to grasp infinity. You know, when God entered my life, he said, you will never understand that, my son. Just let it go. 
So it's a good thing to say, I don't know. Can you say that after me? This guy was such a great witness. You know why the first thing he says, I don't know. Where is he now? I don't know. Is he a sinner? Surely he's a sinner. I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I can see. And that guy healed me. And I love him. I owe him my life because of what he did for me. That's a witness, man. That's not trying to be an attorney. You see, attorneys think they have to have all the answers. And it's okay to enter in with unbelieving people and wonder with them. I have friends that are unbelieving. I have people that are unbelieving. I have people around me that have come to Christ. And yet, what, it, what has brought them to me sometimes is just the common sh- kind of quest for knowledge that we share. They go, oh, I wonder about that too. I don't really know. But I do know the one who has the answer, but I don't know the answer. See, when you can be humble in front of people who don't believe, they see Jesus in you. Why? Because he is a humble king. So um, we all have the same needs and we all have the same questions. Three, most people really don't know what they believe and they often contradict themselves. If you have conversations with people who do not have a relationship with Christ, if you ask them the right questions, you will begin to realize that they have no clue what they believe. So, like, I'll say to people, like, and they're like, I'm not a religious person. I'm like, well, what do you believe? They're like, well, I believe this, I believe this, I believe that. I'm like, oh, that's a religion. That's called humanism. They're like, what? I said, yeah, what you believe is a religion. I'm not a religious person. Well, yeah, you kind of are. I want to offend you, but, like, what you're talking about now is humanism. And you, you help them understand that they're completely confused. <laughs> and, that, and that they're just a ball of contradictions, When you listen to them sometimes, you can understand that everybody out there is struggling to really understand truly to make sense of the universe, to make sense of their lives. And so many people, without Christ, all you're left with is chaos and confusion. God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of order. So when you listen to people who don't know Christ, you can draw these things out and you can speak into their lives in such a way that you bring understanding and you bring order Listen to this, anyone can be reached if you listen to the key to their heart. And what's the key to their heart? Got to understand this. It's their unmet needs and it's their unhealed hurts. Every single one of us have hurts here on planet earth. In Mark 10, there was another blind man. This is blind Bartimaeus. Jesus walked, he said, call him. He brought this guy over. So they called to the blind man. They said, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. And this is the first question that Jesus asked him. What is it you want me to do for you? Isn't that a great question? And he goes, Rabboni, I want to see. You see, if you're the kind of person that Jesus is going to use in the lives of people who don't know him, you're going to ask questions and you're going to listen. And when people reveal their hidden heart hurts, you can understand and pray for them because you know Jesus is the answer to that hidden hurt. Many of us are walking around with father wounds. Now, my dad was a great man, but he wasn't God. And every single one of our parents were broken in some way. Some of them were great representatives of Christ. Others were miserable in that job. However, we have a father in heaven who is perfect. So when you run into someone and you realize they have a father wound, because they're talking about all the pain that their dad inflicted in their life, what, who do you have to introduce them to? A father in heaven who is perfect. Everyone is wounded around you. And we know that their healing is found in Christ. The question that most of us say, well, how do I get people to open up to me who don't know Jesus? Here's the way you do it. You open up to them. 
You share your testimony with them. You talk about your own pain. You talk about your own struggle. You become vulnerable with them so they know that you're a safe place to become vulnerable for them. Do you know the world does not major on grace? Do you know that so many people hide all of their hidden hurts? Why? They have no safe place to share them. You know who's supposed to be that safe place? Jesus Christ in you. And the way that you can invite them into that is by sharing your own struggles. Now look, people have all kinds of excuses as to why they don't think they need Jesus or why they don't think Jesus is the way to heaven or why they don't think this and why they don't think that. They have excuses. Can I tell you what you have? You have the Holy Spirit of God. And you have the truth, the Word of God. Listen in 2 Timothy 1, 7 through 8. The Holy Spirit, God's gift to you, does not want you to be afraid of people, but to be wise and strong and to love them and enjoy being with them. If you will stir up this inner power, the Holy Spirit in you, you will never be afraid to tell others about our Lord. And in Luke 21, do not worry as to what you will say to defend yourselves. I will give you the wisdom to know what to say. You have the Holy Spirit. So if you trust the Holy Spirit and you pray, God will ask you to enter into these relationships to listen to people and to speak into their lives. Well, okay, how do I speak into their lives? How do I share the hope that I have? As the scripture says, always be ready to give the reason for the hope that you have. If you have any hope in Christ, you're supposed to be ready to share that hope, which means you're supposed to be listening in the right circumstances to actually share Jesus. Now, there's some very bad ways to do this. Very bad ways to do this. I want to give you one example of a very bad way to share Jesus with someone. Let's take a look at this video. Oh, there are bad ideas. Okay. Here we go. I'm going to actually read that first. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that no one, so you may know how to answer everyone. Here's a bad idea. Let's watch. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Sorry I'm late. No, it's okay. We're glad you're here. Mm. That coffee is hot. Isn't that the worst? Oh, I just burnt my tongue. You know what? You think that's hot? You gotta try that burn like 10 billion times worse all over your entire body as you fall into the pits of hell because you haven't surrendered your life over to the will of Jesus Christ. Huh? That's a burn you won't get over. <laughs> I saved you a cookie. <laughs> now look, we laugh. But that's what some of us look like. And so it's funny. It's funny, it is. But look, there are really miserable bad ideas on the way that we share our faith with other people. And, you know, obviously, hopefully none of us are that bad. But I, I do see it. Like the scripture says, your, your um, speech is to be seasoned with grace. We're supposed to understand how to talk to people. So I want to give you some ideas about sharing your hope. Like here's the first one. You got to live your hope. You have to live this thing. Now, nobody lives it perfectly. So look, if you're saying, well, I really can't share my hope that I have in Christ until I get my act together, you will be waiting around until you go to the gates of heaven. Because you will never have your, your, your act together 100%. You never will. 
but, but you live it. Live such good lives among your unbelieving neighbors that they would see the good things you do and they will honor God by believing. Romans 12, 13 says, practice hospitality. Now, you know, this, this church was founded on hospitality. When we first began, we were kind of meeting in people's homes. And what we would do is just love each other and bring more people in. And you know what we did? We served food. Anybody like to eat? Like, so we would love on people. We would serve food. And we would um, kind of, you know, walk in such a way that we were showing hospitality to people in very practical and beautiful ways. This is one way that you can live loving people well. Now, I don't know about your neighborhood, but my neighborhood's kind of locked up. Some of you may live in my neighborhood. I would really love to meet you. I live in Southern Farms. If you've got a minute to introduce yourself to me, I would love that. But Tracy and I, as we've been walking recently, realized that most people stay to themselves in our neighborhood. Well, we don't want that anymore. So I've started inviting neighbors over to dinner, and I'm starting to have conversations with people, and I'm starting to stop and actually spend 45 minutes or an hour on the street with someone I don't know, and I want to do more of this. I wonder what happened if we all did this. I wonder what would happen if we all invited people onto our homes and we started practicing hospitality and we showed them by our good works that we believe in God. It'd be a beautiful thing. The other thing is learn it. Listen to God and always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. I wonder how many of you right now could stand up and share a testimony. Just by show of hands, can you raise your hand if you think you could get up here right now and give a testimony? I'm not talking about bravery. I'm talking about having one. Now, part of the thing I struggle with is I hear your stories. You come up afterwards and you tell me your stories. And I love it when you do, because there's so much life change happening in so many people. But here's what I'm often faced with. I'm like, have you told anybody else? And they're like, well, no. Would you consider telling us? Absolutely no. You're hiding it. Jesus said, you don't take a light and put a bushel on it, basket on it. You, you open it up so that everybody can see it. You see, you've got to live it, and you've got to learn it, and you've got to speak it. Look, if you have unbelieving people in your life, and you've been around them for like 10 years, and you're just going to get start serious about sharing your faith with them, don't you think it would be a little unusual if they went, I didn't know you were a Christian? You know what you can do in that situation? Apologize. You know, you can start by going to your unchurched friend or your unbelieving friend and just say, hey, John, I need to apologize to you. That'll get their attention. I just tell you, I want to tell you I'm really sorry that you've known me for a lot of years and I've never really told you what's most important to me. Mind if I just take a minute and do that now? And John's probably in shock and he's like, well, yeah, what's going on? I just want you to know, like, I love God and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and I'm so sorry that I haven't told you about that sooner. It's the most important thing about me. And I would like, you know, just an opportunity as we continue to grow in our friendship together just to tell you more about the one who's most important to me. I can tell you something. He may look like a deer caught in headlights. It may be an incredibly awkward moment. But can I tell you, your humility before that person will speak about the heart of God to that person. Listen first, then ask questions. Ask good open questions. Always listen before you answer, the proverb says. Friends always show their love, Proverbs 17 says. A person's thoughts are like water in a deep well, but a man of understanding can draw them out. Listen to the people around you who don't know God. Ask them good questions. Be intentional. 
can I tell you something? They're not used to having people really caring. They're not used to having people really listen. And if you can really listen, you're showing the heart of Father. You're showing them the, the heart of God. And look, one of the most powerful things you can learn from today is to share your stories, no matter how little they are. And I said stories, not story. You've heard me talk about this before, but many people, when they think about their witness or their testimony, they're going to go back 10, 15, 20 years and say, well, when I came to Christ, that's a great story. But what is God doing in your life today? How did he change you today? How did he change you yesterday? How did he change you last week? And what's he challenging you to tomorrow? Start telling those stories. Well, Jeff, I mean, it's really not all that significant. I mean, yesterday I was completely exhausted and I went to house church and when I was there and we were praying, all of a sudden this level of energy rose up in me and I felt like I was completely renewed. Tell someone that. That's beautiful. Jeff, I prayed for my daughter and guess what? She made the right decision. Tell someone that. That's powerful. Why? Because other people have daughters that they care about too. The ground is level at the foot of the cross and we have to start bearing witness by sharing our stories. Will they persecute you? Yes. Will they reject you? Yes. Many will. Some won't. And you are planting seeds for the glory of God. Listen to Luke 14, 23. Go into the streets and everywhere else and invite anyone you find to come in with you so that my house will be full. Go out into the streets, Grace Fellowship Church, and invite everyone to come into the house of God. Now that's the kingdom of God. That's the family of God. But can I challenge you? Grace Fellowship Church has always grown, not because we hang signs out front. We don't. A lot of people don't even know we're here. There are people live in this community for 15 years and are like, where's your church? I'm like, up on the hill. What hill? They're in the Kmart space. I didn't know there was a church up there. Really? We don't promote. You know what happens? People's lives are changed here, and they go out and tell somebody else. And then that person tells somebody else. And that person tells somebody else. Let me ask you, when was the last time you invited somebody to come to Grace with you? I want to encourage you to do that this Advent season. And I also want you to learn to tell your story. Our brother Phil Cook, our new pastor of student ministries, in about three weeks, he's going to get up and give a message about testimony. And giving that message will help prepare you and ready you to tell your stories. But here's the action plan I can say for you. God, help me to see what you're doing in my life and help me to tell at least one person. Here's another thing I'd say to you. Invite someone to come with you so that you can have a conversation with them about what they've heard. Because if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness or compassion, then make God's joy complete by sharing with others the goodness of God. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you are writing stories in our lives. Lord, help us to be witnesses and stop being judges and lawyers. God, we don't know it all. We only know so little. But what we know of you, we love. So Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us and help us to bear witness to your goodness in our lives. Yes, Father, some will hate us. Some will betray us, some will persecute us, some will reject us. 
But Jesus, you are the one who paved the way for us to walk home to be in glory with you. Help us not to flinch in the face of adversity. Help us not to meander in the pool of mediocrity. Help us not, Lord God, to sell out for popularity. Help our colors to be clear, Lord, that we would show the world that we love you and that you love them. And if they'll just come to you, you will make things right. God, we thank you that you've sent us on assignment. Help us, Lord Jesus, to bear witness for the cause of your kingdom. We pray this all in your precious name and God's people said, amen. Let's sing together, Grace Fellowship Church.